Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Science of Sports podcast with Professor Ross Tucker and sports journalist Mike Finch. Coming up in this episode. The, the, the image that was projected about why this team was doing so well was always the exact opposite of what you would find when you just lifted the rat. That a high profile, experienced sport doctor would order a potentially banned substance under the wider code. The doctor's been, been found guilty, but the rest of the team is all right, let's just move on. It strikes me as bizarre that people just want to, you know, put earplugs in their ears and, and cover their eyes and just say, OK, let's, let's move on. Right, so if you're in the world of cycling over the last couple of years now, I think it's 765 days. We'll find out from Sean Ingalls shortly about the exact number of days. But the case of Richard Freeman, who is the head doctor of the Sky Cycling team and also the head doctor of British Cycling, along with Shane Sutton, the head of the head coach and the technical director of British Cycling, being involved in this court case in the UK. And lots of intrigue around it. It's almost like some sort of James Bond movie with all the different things that happened. Allegations of... Um, using this the tester gel cream for um, erectile dysfunction, all sorts of uh, incredible stuff. And we thought maybe just because the case against Richard Freeman um, over the last couple of we- uh, over the last week or so has now found him guilty of, uh, and we'll figure out, we'll actually find out exactly what he's been found guilty of. We thought it would be good to speak to somebody who has been absolutely involved with this case for the last two years and uh, knows it pretty well. And his name is uh, Sean Ingle, who is uh, the chief sports reporter for The Guardian. And I'm sure that many of you who uh, are interested in sport read a lot of Sean's stuff. It's really insightful. And uh, he explains, uh, as Ross does very often, very complicated matters in a very simple way. So Sean's stuff is really excellent. So if you're not a a supporter of The Guardian, because of course The Guardian is based on supporters paying money for the content, um, certainly Sean is worth uh, paying some money to read some of his stuff. Ross, uh, just maybe from from our side, you know, what 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 is the what does the story seem to you in terms of its its impact on cycling globally? Difficult to place, I think, at this stage. I think in a year or so, its position in the complicated tale of anti-doping might be a little clearer. What Sean, the, the verdict was Friday, or was it Thursday? Remind me. It was, I remember in the lead up to that, because everyone knew it was going to happen. No one had full confidence it, it would, but everyone thought it would. And I remember thinking, I'd be surprised if they go guilty here, because that's just how we've become accustomed to these anti-doping things. We've had hotel raids and people arrested and nothing happened. We've had raids of medical practices and threats of DNA analysis to find out who the athletes are and nothing has happened. And speaking only for myself now, I'm so accustomed to nothing happening around doping that I figured this would end the same way. So I was actually surprised at the verdict. I don't. It'd be interesting to hear what Sean's feelings were had he been a betting man, what he would have said. But when the verdict of guilty came down, then the... And I remember reading many in the British press described shockwaves through British cycling. I'm not that surprised at the idea that a doctor would order a drug for the use of an athlete, but I'm surprised that anyone would actually find them guilty of it, which I think is a depressing um, indictment of the state of sport at the moment. So that's that was my first thing. The second part 
is that as much as this is a clean ending to a long story, guilty, it's, a, it's almost a full stop. We never get these in antidoping. There are so many unanswered questions that it remains, as usual, unsatisfactory. And to quote from uh, one of Sean's colleagues in, in England, Barney Rene, who wrote this about the Alberto Salazar scandal, he said at that time, we have a murder but no body. I feel in this instance we have a murder, we have a murder weapon, gel. we have a murderer, and we even have a guilty verdict, and we still don't have a body. And so it's difficult to draw a line under it when you don't really know what it all means. And that's the problem right now. So Sean, I suppose the question is what Ross has just asked. Were you surprised by the guilty verdict? Um, I was. Um, I guess one of the key things to point out here was that the um, the burden of proof in a medical trial is lower than a, a criminal trial. So it was based on the balance of probabilities rather than beyond reasonable doubt. And it, when you read the the summation of the, of the tribunal's verdict, it's very clear that because Dr. Freeman had lied to UK anti-doping um, about the originally about the, having a, ordered a, a 30 sachets of, of Testagel, he'd lied about various other things. Uh, and even during um, the tri trial itself, he had said things like he uh, about the testosterone. He didn't realize how how powerful it was in the world of sport. He he hadn't read the the fine print of the World, world Anti Doping Code. I think it was very clear the tribunal sort of said, well, if you lied about this, 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 and this, when you claim that you've bought um, testosterone for Shane Sutton, we don't believe you there either. And therefore you're guilty of, um, of buying testosterone, knowing or believing it was for a, a rider. So, I mean, the evidence is obviously circumstantial around the fact that he bought, bought it for a rider based on the fact that they're assuming he's lied about what he really, what he said he bought it for. So it, it, there's no proof that it was for a rider. It's just the, the fact that he was not a good witness. Yeah, I think, I, yes. Um, I mean, I sat through most of the tribunal. Some of it was held in, in private when they went into um, detailed medical records. But my understanding, speaking to a few people that were, were that were there when I wasn't there, that the, the general medical counsel who was putting the case against Freeman never at any point suggested a, a definite rider's name, uh, and it was very much, as you say, it was well, you bought this, it can't have been for anything else. You were experimenting with various other things in that sort of period in 2011. You were pushing the line in all sorts of different areas. Um, you know, you Team Sky and British Cycling had brought in certain doctors with uh, a doping past. Um, the General Medical Council referred to them as sleepers, quote unquote, at one point. And therefore, if you're doing all these things, surely the obvious conclusion is that you're also using this test for, um, for, for purposes that, that, you know, that, that break the, the world anti-doping code. It seems to me, though, that you could argue it in two directions. And the charitable argument would be to say that he was guilty by virtue of being a pretty poor witness. I mean, really, when I read that he was denying that he knew the benefits of testosterone in, in sports. I thought this is, this is either the worst liar I've ever heard or he's actually just lost track of what he needs to say. I mean, that, that was astonishing, Sean. That, that, that must have raised everyone's eyebrows how a doctor for one of the great sports teams in the world could not know that testosterone was banned for the reasons that it was and didn't have a familiarity with the water code. Absolutely. And, 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 this wasn't his first job either. Uh, Dr. Freeman had worked for Bolton Wanderers Football Club. Uh, in 2007, he'd been made a fellow of the Faculty of Sport and Exercise Medicine at the UK Royal Colleges. 
uh, he had um, uh, he he was one of the first sort of doctors to be given some sort of sports medicine award by uh, the body here in the UK. Mm. So he was undoubtedly recognised as a leader in his field. Yeah. So um, yeah, when when he his you know his, his, his it's strange because some of his evidence when he was on sort of safe ground, so to speak, he was actually very clear, very cogent. Uh, quite impressive in, in parts, and yet in other points, the when he was talking about his various laptops and whatever else, or or, or not knowing how powerful testosterone was, you just you know rolling your eyes and thinking, come on, you know, you, you're treating us like idiots here. Mm. So so that okay, so I, I've created a diversion on my own argument. I was trying to say that it's one thing to say that he he was found guilty because he was unreliable and unable to explain, but from the other direction. What you have, and this is fact, is a doctor who's placed an order for testosterone and cannot give a reliable explanation for what it is. Now, this is not a vague medical product that exists in that so-called gray area that teams and cyclists and athletes love to think that they play in. This is clean. Testosterone is banned. Everyone knows that. So if you can't, as a doctor, account for exactly what that is, then I'm almost, maybe uncharitably, but inclined to say, well, in that case, you're guilty of something. Now, I think the key point here is that this tribunal is not geared to find out whether you're guilty of doping an athlete or not. They don't care about doping in sport. They care about the ethical behaviors of doctor. And I think that's frustrated a lot of people as well. Well, maybe we, maybe we should sort of explain to, to the listeners exactly what the tribunal was. So it was brought by the General Medical Council. So it was basically the doctor's controlling council looking at him as a doctor rather than an investigation into doping, which would be under the UK anti-doping uh, crowd. Is, is, that, was that, is that the right um, summarization of that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a long and quite complicated story, but essentially... Um, it, I think you almost have to go back really to to Team Sky's formation. They're, they're formed sort of end of uh, 2010. Um, they uh, sorry, let me start again with that bit. That they're formed. Uh, they have they start off. You know, their 2010 season is, is they don't do anything. Uh, 2011, there's a lot of pressure on the team. You know, a lot of money's been spent on them, and then from back end of 2011 onwards, they they become pretty much unstoppable. Both Team Sky and British Cycling and the praise they get is almost universal I think only Paul Kimmage actually after Bradley Wiggins had won his uh, Tour de France in 2012 sort of raised some questions and said um, we know that so many other past Tour de France champions are are, are, um, are dodgy uh, given Team Sky you know brought in Geert Landers you know who at Raper Bank had, had been part of a doping program can we really trust this team he was probably the only one that was critical and then over time um, questions start being asked, particularly um, it comes to light that um, a jiffy bag had, um, had been delivered to Bradley Wiggins at the, at the 2011 uh, Criterium de Dauphiné. Uh, Team Sky insisted it was Flumacil was in there, which is a, a legal uh, decongestion. But others had suggested it might be something else. Um, also questions... Um, well, we start to learn from the leak of fancy bears that, that Bradley Wiggins and Chris Freeman had had uh, TUEs that hadn't been, um, that, you know, they hadn't accounted for and, and that only came to light because of Russian hackers. And then we go a bit further on and uh, UK anti-doping launched an investigation, but they don't really get anywhere. Their powers are very limited. Um, so what they do is they then ask the GMC to start looking into it. Um, and, and 
around this time in 2017, it's leaked to the the Sunday Times journalist David Walsh mm-hmm. that a consignment of testosterone had been delivered uh, to the Manchester Velodrome in, in 2011, and that's where British Cycling and Team Sky were based at the time. Um, so that sort of sets the train in motion, which leads to this um, medical tribunal, which finally got underway in February 2019. So when you look at, I mean, you, because you were there, it's interesting to see what your view of Freeman was. You describe him when he's in a comfort zone, he's very lucid and very deliberate and very calm. When he's under pressure to explain certain things, he's not the same. He's talked often about how this case has affected him psychologically, that he's, you know, he's gone through depression and all sorts of things. Did he strike you as somebody that was just, you know, at that, at, at, in, a, in a terrible space over the last two years and, and under tremendous pressure um, to explain stuff or, or somebody that was, you know, because there's always the idea that when you're under pressure, that you, you sometimes, you know, you, you don't come across particularly well. And obviously there was enormous pressure on him. Um, I yeah I I I believe speaking to a number of people that that were speaking to him at the time certainly in 2019 he he was in a very bad place mentally uh, and I think it can't have been easy for him being on that stand for for pretty much seven weeks uh, answering questions and trying to um, you know keep his you know ducks in a line so to speak um, so I had some sympathy in that and also. Um, he said certain things that were quite interesting. For example, he talked about before he appeared in front of Parliament, or he was supposed to appear in front of Parliament um, in 2017. He met he met Sky uh, Chief, so people uh, James Murdoch was there, people from Team Sky were there, um, and he was said he was briefed at an imposing building at Canary Wharf, and Mike Morgan, who people remember, sort of defended all sorts of people down the years, including Chris Froome when he was uh, had an adverse analytical finding for Salbutamol and also Tyson Fury. Um, Rupert Murdoch's lawyer was there and he said, he, you know, he said, told, told Tribune it was very tense, it was pressurised. They wanted to know how I would answer certain questions. I broke down in tears and couldn't go on. And I think you, you have to be, you can't help being human in those situations. Here's a guy that, you know, he's got some serious corporate and, and, and uh, doping lawyers there pressuring him. And um, it can't have been easy for him at all. Mm. Speaking of all those people in the orbit around Freeman, they were conspicuously absent at this hearing. And I guess the question is why and will we ever hear from the likes of Brailsford and so on in an official way where they are compelled to actually speak? Because we've already seen them in front of the parliamentary committee. I think you've alluded to the fact that UK anti-doping just does not have the clout to get things out. It takes me back to the Armstrong situation where US anti-doping could only take the thing so far and eventually it had to go federal in order to be completed. And I I just wonder where this goes next with respect to those people because like many, I cannot believe that Freeman is a guy acting on his own in this situation. No, I I absolutely agree with that. Um, I I mean, I think Mary O'Rourke, who was Freeman's solicitor, uh, sorry, QC, said it, well uh, during her closing statement she she's talked about browsford being the the spectre sort of overhanging this uh, tribunal uh, you know why wasn't he called he would have known everything that was going on in team sky and british cycling um it was also the case that i mean i i, I sat in for the steve peters evidence and and it was it was bizarre really that what happens in in in, in it comes it, it comes to light in in 2011 when is this this package is delivered um Phil Burt, uh, who was the physio at, um, 
at, at, at British Cycling Team Sky open, opens the package and go, presents it to Steve Peters and says, look, we've had this delivered. Freeman comes in and is horrified. And, and Peters, according to sort of David Walsh's uh, telling, um, very much sort of, you know, so satisfied um, that, that the explanation that was sent in error and being returned, he doesn't even bother to tell Brailsford. And that, to me, seems utterly bizarre. Uh, you know, you've got the head of science not telling the boss about, you know, a delivery of illegal drugs into the facility. I mean, it's just, it just beggars belief, really. I mean, you can't exactly accuse these people of being naive. Because no, exactly. And because they'd come into the sport riding a chariot of we will be clean. And so in order to, in order to adopt that position, they have to, by definition, be aware of what it takes to, to be clean. And so this, and as I was alluding to earlier, this delivery of testosterone would be the single biggest threat to them, you know, part of the single biggest threat to their entire identity. And so that's why it really does stretch the boundaries for me of belief that it would be handled in the way that they alleged it was handled. No, exactly. I, I think it is a tipping point, perhaps, for some of those, I'd hope anyway, for some of those Team Sky fanboys that um, over the years, as certain things came out, ah, oh, I see we're working with, with Gert Leanders. Okay, but no proof that he did this. Ah, they, they got TUEs on the quiet. Well, that's a grey area. Uh, oh, <laughs> so um, certain other thing, things have happened and UK anti-doping looking, well... Well, well, maybe. Yeah, they haven't actually nailed anyone. Oh, Parliament um, has released a report saying, you know, Team Sky's practices were unethical and they were using, you know, certain things um, that, that absolutely stretched the line. Ah, oh, well, you know, there's been no big bust. Ah, Chris Freeman, an adverse analytical finding. Ah, well, Mike Morgan's found a, a study on, on animals that helps them, um, you know, explain, explain <laughs> away that. This is absolutely black and white. Um, you know, the, the chief doctor at the biggest um, uh, team in, in, in uh, cycling, in the sort of, the, they, they called it the medal factory, uh, UK, uh, UK Sport did about uh, British cycling, that you know, the chief doctor in both organisations found guilty of purchasing testosterone, known or believing it be used in a rider. It can't be, you know, it's absolutely, um, you know, you, you could, there's, there's no, it's absolutely unequivocal that that happened. Um, the, the thing now, though, I said in my, one of my pieces for the Guardian, it's a bit like Churchill said about you know the the fight on the Second World War. He said, you know, it's 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 not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. The question mm. now is, of course, is whether some of this other stuff that many of us are told or us whispered about that we can't actually write, whether much of that comes out in the future. I mean, in many respects, though, Sean, you've just listed a handful of the things around Sky. That's probably only a quarter of the actual <laughs> issues that emerged over time. But there was, and it was always smoke, like you say. But the, the Freeman trial almost gave some parallels to the whole Sky story because you had this almost incongruent situation of a leading doctor at a world-class sports team denying his knowledge about testosterone and the anti-doping code that those two things are incompatible by the same token you had sky announcing its zero tolerance policy hiring linders incompatible you had athletes with suspicious biological passports and then commitments made that they were going to fund a study to try and explain away that never happened you had performance transformations which i realize is probably the weakest standard of evidence but but still raised many eyebrows when those performance transformations and when those 
dominant decade of cycling was explained, it was always attributed to marginal gains, attention to detail, precision, world-class expertise, science. Then you heard about lost laptops, misplaced records. Uh, remind me, Sean, I think at the, at the parliamentary thing, it was said that their, that their medical records room was so chaotic that no one could find pretty much anything that was going on. Incompatible. So the, the, the image that was projected about why this team was doing so well was always the exact opposite of what you would find when you just lifted the rug. And that, for me, it's the same thing that the Freeman case emerged. And so, so throughout the last decade, it's been impossible to say that, there is ever, that they are definitely doping. But there's always been evidence to say that these guys are extremely untrustworthy. And so that's why the whole Sky story is now asterisked. Has been from the start. I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, I, I, I'm kind of looking at this, and if I had to be, you know, I'm also come from a journalistic background. I'm looking at the facts and saying, right, we, what we do know is Freeman's been found guilty, and we obviously know that he did something he shouldn't have done. But it still feels, and maybe I'm being naive about this, it still feels a stretch to then to say the entire system of Sky and British Cycling was therefore corrupt or sort of rampant drug use across the whole thing. I mean, is that is that what the feeling in the UK is around this result, is that people are going, well, it's an easy jump to make that the whole system was corrupt, or is there still a sense within people that have followed the story that it could have been a small minority within that structure? I, I really do think it depends who you speak to, and, and, and like anything in life these days, if your view is that 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 Team Sky uh, were all at it, you probably this has only reinforced your beliefs. While you know, if you think actually you know, they did it clean, there's you know a rogue doctor, and and the truth perhaps maybe somewhere in between. Um, uh, it, it's perhaps worth pointing out as well, just just for you know tick the eyes and, and, and cross the T's that that Shane Sutton released a statement saying that the testosterone hadn't you know. Had, he had no knowledge of the order, and um, and nor did that Brailsford. But but Brailsford has not yet talked about it. But uh, I would I would urge anyone that is um, sort of thinks this is nothing, just just to sort of read the, the sort of the conclusions uh, that the medical um, practitioners tribunal service wrote. I mean they they said that Freeman's claims that he bought testo gel for Shane Sutton to treat his erectile dysfunction were quite unquite implausible. They wrote as an ex high experienced doctor. The reason Dr. Freeman claims to have ordered Testiger was unconvincing in itself. It stretched credulity that a high-profile, experienced sport doctor would order a potentially banned substance under the wider code. Yet, despite the significance of this, failed to make a record of the intended patient, the circumstances, and the proposed off-label use. The tribunal found that Dr. Freeman's account of having ordered the Testiger for Mr. Sutton required it to believe too many implausible, unsupported assertions, as well as having to look further falsehoods on the back of those Dr. Freeman has already already admitted. The position is therefore this. In 2011, Dr. Freeman, the team doctor for a team of elite cyclists, ordered a doping drug of choice for that sport. I mean, that's, it's, these things are normally quite dry and quite, um, you know, whatever, and you've got to read through various bits, but that is pretty punchy and it's pretty, pretty clear what, what, it's, what it's saying there. Interesting language though, like to say the drug of choice for that sport, because one of the first responses to the verdict that I read was that of Brad Wiggins, who said that no one at the time would have used testosterone, which is another outrageous claim because every major cyclist who's written a tell-all has told us that they use testosterone. Armstrong, Hamilton, Landis, we know that testosterone is abused in the sport and Wiggins' first thought was to reject that anyone would use it because you could test for it. 
It's just it's just so weak. Well, why why testosterone? I mean, let's just explain what testogel is. Is it a sachet, a, a patch, or how, how how does it and how well, does it work? I've seen it described as both. My understanding is that the, these were sachets that contained a gel, so they'd be applied topically, not as a patch. But I think Sean's probably a better place to explain that because he would have discussed what the product was at the. Well, they would have discussed. It Sean, have you seen a testogel sachet? <laughs> I haven't, um, but I think it's actually quite interesting. Uh, what, what, I, I, Ross is right, but what's quite interesting it, throughout the case, Dr. Freeman, when he was given evidence, would often alternate between patches, gels, sachets, um, and the tribunal actually um, made a made a point of saying that they thought that was um, deliberate. Um, that he well, he didn't mean to say it, but it was kind of almost, a, you know, I, I'll find the relevant bit in the case. He said, the tribunal did not believe his use of patches was an accident, particularly given the way he so strikingly framed his account and his made statement. Um, you know, they they essentially, you know, you know basically they said in, in ordinary jail, he would have readily known it was going to be used for doping purposes. And the fact that, you know, he was using, flicking between the words sachets and patches suggested that he had a lot of knowledge in this area. Yeah, so so just very briefly, you can, and, and we've seen it's not just testosterone. A lot of steroid hormones come in gels or creams, and so you apply that cream, you let it go in through the skin, transdermal. Your body gets the benefit of the elevated testosterone or whatever steroid it is, and that causes, in this case, recovery. That's why you're using testosterone. the The method of delivery that was preferred in the '90s, 2000s, as per Hamilton and a few others, was a transdermal patch. So you would stick that patch on at night. And then you'd sleep with it on. And it administers a relatively small dose of testosterone, but over a prolonged period. Now, there are some studies that have found that when you do that, I think it was a 2.4 milligram dosage, and you measure the testosterone levels in the blood 24 hours later, they're gone. Sure. So that would be undetectable with the benefit of dosing. In effect, it's microdosing. So instead of needle with a lot of testosterone, we apply a little bit less or a lot less so that we can keep under the detection limits as long as we get the timing right. And that's the, that's the secret here. And the timing's perfect for a, a, a grand tour or, or a stage race, isn't it? Yeah, unless they're going to knock on your door at 2.30 in the morning to do a test, you're not going to mm. fail that. And even, even in, out of competition, when you're training, listeners would know you have an hour-long window. Most athletes would set that 6, 7 in the morning, mm-hmm. which means that a four- or five-hour administration the night before or, say, in the evening the night before, if you, if you get the dosage right in relation to your testing window, you don't fail that test. That's yeah. the point. But you get a small benefit. You might not get the benefits of Ben Johnson with the yellow eyes, but you're getting the benefit to recover and be 2% better the next day. So, of course, it's a drug used in cycling. That, to me, was a completely bogus rejection of the Freeman verdict to say that no one would use testosterone. Tell us a little bit about um, Shane Sutton's testimony because that was some of the most dramatic stuff when he essentially lost his lost his cool completely when he was when he was testifying no absolutely I, just very quickly on the test test thing actually the tribunal was told this by a professor cowan and he basically told them the use of test gel or testosterone is extremely easy requires no medical knowledge or training uh, and he sort of said if used once daily it was likely to be detected in a routine anti-doping test prior to the implementation of the athlete biological passport so yeah what ross has said is absolutely right um yeah, Shane. So Shane comes in. He is a witness for the General Medical Council, and his statement is essentially that um, I, I didn't have erectile dysfunction issues. 
Um, it's it's um, you know it's complete nonsense. And 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 he comes in and he's uh, those of you who haven't met Shane, you know, he's a pugnacious type. He's uh, you know I, I mean he admitted himself, you know, he was he, you know he's sort of from the old school, came come from Australia from the outback, um, and. and Immediately, he's sort of challenged by Mary Rook, who's equally from Northern Ireland. Freeman's QC, very powerful. She sort of um, doesn't take any prisoners either. And uh, she puts it to him pretty early on that, um, that you know, he needed help um, with, you know, using tester gel to, to basically because his manhood wasn't how it would, you know, it wasn't willing, you know, able otherwise. And, uh, you know, he hits back and, uh, you know, and sort of says to her, you know, I can look in the eye and swear on my three-year-old daughter's death. I've never ordered any test job from Richard. And if Richard wants to take the screw down and look in the eye and tell me I did, then come on. And of course, at this point, Freeman is, is, is covered behind the screen. Later on, he says, you know, I'd have no problem coming here telling you, Mr. Rook, yes, it was for me. I'm a non-athlete. It's neither here, here or there. But as far as I'm concerned, if I had ordered it, you know, I've got no problem telling you I'd order it. Uh, you are here saying I can't get hard on in the press. My wife wants to come here and testify that you are a bloody liar. <laughs> beautiful so, stuff. I have eh? no problem. It wasn't for me. I never ordered it. It's as simple as that. It's so you can imagine. Stuff you know, as a journalist, I'm sure when you see somebody testifying like that, because it's great. It's great copy at the end of the day, isn't it? It is, and and, yeah. and he he he. You know, it only lasts for a few hours where Mary Rock is is is. Uh, basically prodding him and, and building him up. And he doesn't take much to make Shane blow. Um, and she accuses him of being a, a doper, a bully, a liar. Um, and, and not long after he, 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 you know, he, he storms out. So um, it was, it was an, an extraordinary day in a, what was an a, a extraordinary tribunal. I have a couple of questions about that. One is, Number one, she's not the first person to accuse him of being a bully because aside from the doping controversies around British cycling, the bullying scandals very much revolved around Shane Sutton. Yeah, absolutely. The, what's, what's interesting in this, and, and, and it was perhaps one of the, 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 one of the parts of the verdict that, that remain, uh, raised perhaps the most eyebrow, eyebrows, rather. they basically called Sutton, a, a, they, they considered him a credible witness. Yeah. Uh, at the yeah. same time, they they called him a scratchy and irascible character, who, when under pressure, would indeed engage in bullying behaviour. However, crucially, they claimed that Shane wasn't bullying in 2011, um, and only sort of really started doing it later. And therefore, um, Freeman's explanation that he'd been almost bullied to all of the testosterone and couldn't really stand up to Sutton wasn't wasn't true. Um, I don't think everyone that has met Shane. To put it mildly, would think that you know he 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 changed um, completely you know character after 2011. I think he was what he was long before that. Mm. And then the second point was, and I suppose this is again another example of those sort of litmus tests for what you believe is that the the, the whole sudden erectile dysfunction thing was linked also to the delivery of Viagra and Cialis to the to the velodrome, right? Exactly. Maybe yeah, not directly, but but the testosterone wasn't the only thing <laughs> that they were receiving supplies of, and so they they were called blues and browns, if I remember correctly. Yeah, blueies and brownies. Yeah, yeah brownies. My, I, I've got to be honest. I was I was listening to Mary Rourke go through this and explain that, and I had, I had no idea. I, I suspected blueies might be Viagra, but it took a while to kind of fritz a twig. So there was a whole language we all had to learn. Mm. Um, so so once again, you this. could either 
you could either believe that a number of cyclists and coaches in that system needed support um, yeah. <laughs> on that side of their lives, or you could actually argue, and this has been done, is that Viagra is being explored as a performance-enhancing drug. Because there is evidence that that does do that. You know, Viagra was not developed to treat erectile dysfunction. It was actually a, a cardiovascular treatment because mm. it causes dilation of blood vessels. And so there have been some studies showing performance benefits at altitude. And so it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that they were exploring that also, like many other sports teams have done. Yeah, no, that, that's actually come out. They were they were doing that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was that was part of the, um, the, the many things they they were doing to, to to push the line. And a lot of the case was um, uh, was the GMC saying to them, "Yes, you were pushing it a lot, but also crossed crossed it several times too." Um, something that, that Freeman Freeman you know, denied during the during his evidence. So I know, Sean, you're a bit short of time today. So we're going to. Do, I, think, I think my final question from my side is that: what What do you think is going to happen next? What have you heard by the grapevine? Will there be something that potentially goes to government level? Will there be UK anti-doping getting involved? Is Is there a second chapter to this? Do you think? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, um, this week, uh, the GMC are meeting again to discuss whether Freeman's um, uh, ability to practice medicine has been impaired. Uh, the next stage is next month. They will decide whether um, he will be disciplined, which could see him being struck off um, and uh, his, his, his license to practice medicine could, could sh- probably will be revoked. Um, UK anti-doping separately of, of, of two charges against um, Freeman related to, the, to all this. Um, whether we get really deep into um, what really happened, and I, I don't, I don't, I sense there's a great appetite from some of us to find out a lot more. And, and as journalists, we all keep digging. I'm not sure government or um, or other bodies really want to go there. Um, I mean, it does raise huge questions, though. Things, you know, UK Sport, which is the funding agency for for British Olympic sport, and gave millions to um, cycling. Um, and they, they they always say we're a hands-off regulator, but they were in the village what's going on. Um, I wrote a story uh, before Christmas where I revealed that they'd been sent, uh, you know, an email by a, um, a whistleblower saying Shane Sutton is corrupt, and they'd made several claims about Sutton's behaviour, nepotism, misappropriation of resources. Uh, instead of looking at the allegations, UK Sport told the whistleblower to go to British Cycling, and you know I, I know from speaking to people that. Um, British Cycling immediately tell Shane Sutton, you know, which again raises questions about the whole Olympic system. But you get this general sense here from Browser and others, and, and Team Sky supporters is well, we you know that was nearly ten years ago. You know, the the doctor's been been found guilty, but the rest of the team is all right. Let's just move on. And and actually, I think if we were being honest as a country, if we were being if UK Sport were being honest as a sort of regulator funding body, if if Parliament was um, was was really wanting to do its job, it would it would go hammer and tongue at this because 
I mean, this isn't just anyone. This is the most, you know, successful British Olympic sport. It's the most successful team in cycling. And it strikes me as bizarre that people just want to, you know, put earplugs in their ears and, and cover their eyes and just say, okay, let's, let's move on now. Um, well, I suppose they'd be, they'd be pursuing Knights of the Realm, no? I mean, how many Knights have been given up out around British cycling? There that, that has, that has been a few. And um, I, I mean, I do think I, uh, Brailsford was somebody that was always willing to pick up the phone and always willing to ask questions. You see him, you know, I've been a number of grand tours and he'd always be there in the morning and the evening willing to answer questions. And, and he's been absolutely silent here. Um, uh, one member of parliament has basically called for him to be suspended by the Ineos Grenaders, um, saying until this is cleared up, all those involved shouldn't be anywhere near the sport. But I don't think that's going to happen. Have you, have, you um, made, have you tried to contact Bellsford to get his comment on it? Uh, I, I, I've gone. I've gone through Ineos who released a statement, and I, I, I have Bellsford's number. I, I didn't bother because I'd spoken to other people who tried and said uh, he, isn't, he isn't responding. So, um, um, yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't said anything. I mean, of course, there's also the race against time. The statute of limitations in anti-doping is ten years, and so that puts us, if I'm correct, May the fifth. And so, yeah, no, yeah. anything they, if if they were to open an investigation now, they'd have basically six weeks. And having failed to do it over years in 2017, and with a parliament and so on, and even the Freeman Tribunal couldn't reveal the names of the athletes, that's it's not happening in six weeks. So. I expect that this book will be closed and they'll try to move on from it too. I, I agree with, with Sean. The only, I, I think the only way things um, we get to know more is if Freeman decides, I mean, he gave an interview at the weekend where he insisted it was for, for Sutton. Um, and it might well have been, to be honest, we, you know, we, we, you know, we, whether I, I, I don't think it was for erectile dysfunction, but it may, you know, he said it was, um, he, he had ordered it for Shane. So, you know, if Freeman knows, where the, surely knows where the bodies are buried. If he was to speak a bit more, we could get something. There must be other people who've worked Team Sky and British Cycling that have suspicions. Well, there are because I speak to some of them. As always, as a journalist, though, you have um, what people tell you and then being able to prove it. Mm. Um, uh, uh, and, and you need multiple sources often and you need people to, to almost tell you things on the record. And a lot of these people still work in the sport or they still work in elite sport and um, you can understand why perhaps they'll, they'll perhaps they'll tell you certain things off the record, but they're not prepared to go on, on the record. And until that changes, it's going to be tricky, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sort of a slow drip feed of, of more information in the coming months and years of about who knew what, when, and, and some other um, disturbing um, uh, revelations, hopefully. Mm. Speaking of who knew what, when, I wanted to ask you almost a philosophical question about your role as a journalist in the UK over the last decade, because Sky positioned themselves, as we've said, as a team that was going to do this clean, and they needed the media to try and promote that message, and there were there was certainly no shortage of takers, and I mean, I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> talk about specific people. I'll gladly mention one or two names in a moment, but for instance, Matthew Syed has written books telling the world to be like Sky, apply marginal gains to your life, to your business, to your national health service in the UK. Now, we know now what be like Sky means, but there'll be no accountability for those kinds of messaging and so on. And it seems to me that the, the, the tone of the conversation has obviously changed as information has emerged. And what I'd like to ask you, Sean, is how, is, how has it been as a journalist in 
covering cycling in the UK and how do you walk the line between actually covering the sport and condemning the sport? No, it's a good question. I think what makes it easier for me is that I'm a general reporter. So um, I've been to sort of half a dozen tours, but I'm not embedded in the sport. I'm I'm not reliant on having contacts with, you know, being out and knowing that if I phone Browsford, he'll he'll always answer and he'll give me a, you know, a story or some information that will, you know, that will help me write my 800 word article for the next day. Um, Same with athletics. I write about a lot about athletics, which has very similar problems. Uh, but again, I'm not writing about it every day. So that that certainly helps. Mm. But I do mm. think that all journalists... I'm struck by one thing in particular, actually. We, I, I mentioned at the start of this about Paul Kimmage. And I remember being on a boat um, in Corsica in 2013 uh, before the tour. And uh, Kimmage started um, asking a bunch of questions to Browsford. You know, pointed questions. Um, and... You know, he'd like it was like he farted in a wedding. You know, everyone else was like rolling their eyes and 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 sort of like wanting to be away from him. And he just and he stood his ground. I remember thinking that's incredibly impressive. And yeah, and he pursued it right from the off. Um, you mentioned journalists. I, I know David Walsh has, uh, has had a lot of criticism because he wrote a book that basically exonerated Team Sky. But I do think he deserves credit for once realizing he was duped for then coming back and 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 really going after the story. So I think I think, um, but I think more generally. Um, I, 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 yeah. More, more, sorry, more generally, I think that um, yeah, there are some cycling journalists that swallowed the, the the Team Sky stuff whole that should be looking at themselves and thinking, you know, I got that wrong, and, and should really, if, if that's happened, you should be writing a sort of mea culpa, really. When when it was twenty eleven twelve and and Sky were about to dominate the roads the way that British cycling had dominated the track, did you have uh, an uneasy feeling back then, or or was it easy to just go along with the? message that was being given to you i mean i i'm probably a bit different to my, i mean i i'm sort of well by blood more irish than english and i'm i'm not really one for tub thumping and and whatever else so whenever whenever someone something is doing something there's always a part of me is asking is this too good to be true and it's a tricky one because if you're if you're sent at the time when i sort of was sent to the 2013 tour i um i didn't um I didn't have enormous contacts in cycling. Um, but I remember sort of there was a performance by Froome where he just rode away um, in the first sort of big mountain stage. And I remember sort of writing a column the next day, just just expressing sort of just, well, this is, this is odd that someone is this good and this dominant. Um, but um, it, it is a tricky balance. You're right as a journalist, because you are, on the one hand, you need people to tell you stuff and you can't just go to every event and and say, this, you know, do we trust this? But at the same, sometimes you have to play the long game. So as a journalist, sometimes I will uh, go and speak to people and even write pieces that are, you know, that aren't, that aren't negative anyway. But you know, you're sort of almost trying to assess people out and and get embedded into the sport so you know more people. You know, knowing that in the long game that you might be able to get some information that. That, that can hopefully expose some people. So uh, mm. that's uh, what I would say, but it is a tricky one. Yeah, I suppose the, the moment you become, and this is also for you, Mike, the moment you become part of the product, you can't criticize the product. I mean, before I, well, I spent a couple of years working in sports business and sponsorship, and what we do is create sports events and then sell the rights, media broadcasting. And those broadcasters often wanted in their contract 
something to say. Sorry, this, the rights holder wanted something in the contract to say the broadcaster won't criticize anything about the product. So you're actually sterilized. Yeah. Which is, and, and, and the reason I bring it up is because I see it now. It's the same thing's happening now. It happened in 2020 when the Tour and the Vuelta and they're all exciting and it's easy to get enthusiastic and carried away. It's happened so far in 2021. There have been some unbelievable races and let's face it, some incredible performances on bicycles this year. Yeah. And it's so easy to say, let's just celebrate this. Meanwhile, in the same edition of Sean's newspaper is an article about Freeman and what happened in 2012 to cause this. And now we just don't, don't apply it. And it's that saying, the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And it, it worries <laughs> me that we're going to be having the same discussion forever. No, absolutely. I, th I mean, I think the, the central part of, of journalism is to um, hold power to account, whether it's sport, whether it's politics or whatever else. And I think too many journalists um, put on a pair of pom-poms and, and, and wave them about um, and they don't then, and they consider that's their job done or they write a nice phrase um, and they don't actually then ask, ask serious questions. Um, and there are a lot of people that do. And I think, you know, you could list a, a bunch of names that have done brilliant work in this, you know, from, from, from Matt Lawton and Nick Harris did some, some very mm. good stuff at the weekend and done lots of stuff on this. There's a bunch of people that do really care and do put the effort in, but there's an awful lot as well, that are just, but essentially it's probably not that much different than, um, you know, working for Pravda or, or, or Viesta in the old Soviet Union when you're essentially just towing whatever the party <laughs> line is on, on the given day. And uh, I mean, that's not journalism, that's just sort of propaganda really. <laughs> Well, Sean Ingle, thank you very much for your time. It's uh, I mean, it must have been a fascinating last couple of years just following this case, and uh, you certainly have explained a lot of the background to it. And for those of you listening throughout the world around this landmark decision uh, or ruling last week, um, it will certainly be interesting to see if anything comes of it in terms of Chapter 2 or whether it stays um, dead and buried from now on. But uh, certainly there, uh, there's, there is a, 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 a pool that has been cast over the uh, British Cycling and Sky team and I guess to some extent there must be a pressure on the team now to uh, to be as clean as possible and to show themselves to be uh, you know as 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 transparent as they possibly can be as Ineos Grenadiers, which is obviously the the follow up team to the Sky team. But uh, Sean, thank you very much for your time. And uh, from us and Ross, it's uh, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Science of Sport podcast. Follow us on Twitter at SportsSciPod and on Instagram at Science of Sport Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.